From the beaches of the Pacific Ocean to the snow-capped peaks of the Rocky Mountains, these are the stories that unite 12 institutions in a shared commitment to excellence bound by the Western spirit of innovation and opportunity. Welcome to The Summit, the official podcast of the Mountain West. Here is your host, Daryl Seibel. For the uh, very first edition of our new Mountain West podcast series, fittingly, we're joined by the very first employee of the Mountain West, and that's the commissioner, Craig Thompson. Commissioner, thanks for making the time to be with us today. Daryl, it's great to be with you. Uh, you know, a lot of exciting things uh, happening in the Mountain West Conference these days, and, and we look forward to the 20th season in uh, 2018, 20th season of Mountain West football, and uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of optimistic things to, uh, to uh, look forward to. Well, that's a great place to begin our conversation today. As you uh, point out, the Mountain West officially began operations on July 1, 1999, and the 2018-19 academic year will mark the 20th season of competition for the conference. Given how dramatically the landscape of college athletics has changed during the past two decades, that's a great accomplishment for any league. Uh, and as you look back over the last 19 years, what are some of the most significant moments that stand out for you across the Mountain West? Uh, you know, a couple of things initially. One would be fighting to change the, the postseason structure in college football. I testified in, in Congress in 2009. I've always been a playoff guy. Uh, comfortable with the current four teams set up. Perhaps someday there's room for expansion there, but I always ask uh, or, or uh, caution by saying what is the expansion meaning? Is it is it five autonomous leagues, one to the so-called group of five champion, uh, and uh, two at-larges? I mean, what is the structure? Are we still included in that process? What has happened with the postseason change is we've had an opportunity to uh, uh, to play and expand, and one of the most exciting things in, in Mountain West history, I think, is is playing in five BCS slash CFP bowl games, winning four of them. I'll get back to that in a moment. But also having uh, Boise State play in the Fiesta and win the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago with two losses. Uh, you look at TCU's and Utah's, they were unblemished, undefeated, uh, you know, certainly very little room for error, but to play in a, in a New Year's Eve Bowl with two losses is a great step forward for us. And, you know, we certainly have aspirations to, to play in one of those semifinals one day. But I think the postseason structure is, has been important. You know, what we have done as a league to promote and brand the Mountain West, looking at uh, the Mountain, the, the first ever linear network of, of a conference uh, back in the mid-2000s and uh, has since been duplicated by the, the Pac-12, the SEC, uh, soon to be the ACC, the Big Ten, but we were the first and it was a very ambitious move uh, on the league's part and, and our television partners. And, uh, you know, now trying to understand what the digital layout is in terms of how people like to receive their uh, television sports. Right now, it's, it's not so much the 70-inch screen in the basement. Yep. It's more of I've got my cell phone out. I shouldn't be driving, but I am watching <laughs> it maybe. And I'm going to my son's soccer game. I've got my daughter's recital this afternoon, but I can still keep up with my favorite team. And so you were in a brave new world. I, I wish I knew what 2020 looked like. But, uh, you know, we're trying to, to stay abreast of all the changes in technology. Sure, sure. We're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. But, but before we go there, 
Again, looking at the first 19 seasons of the Mountain West, now moving into season number 20, this is a league that's always had wonderful characters and personalities, coaches, officials, student-athletes. Who are some of the names that come to mind for you when you look back on the, on the first 19 years of the league? Iconic coaches who really experienced great success in the Mountain West. Well, first we were scared to death though, those first couple of years of the Mountain West in 1999. Uh, in football, we had Fisher DeBerry and Sonny Lubick. Uh, we had John Robinson, uh, Ted Tolner. We had uh, Hall of Fame coaches uh, throughout, Lavelle Edwards at BYU. And I was scared to death that they were all gonna retire at the same <laughs> time because yeah. that's what we were branding. Our market was those, those Hall of Fame football sure. coaches. You know, and then we followed up in basketball through the years with uh, uh, Lon Kruger, Steve Fisher, uh, Steve Alford. You know, we've had some phenomenal coaches in this league, and, and that's really been a mark. You know, it's one of the yeah. things that people say you, you can't keep those people, and it's challenging. That might be true, but that's true of a lot of other leagues as well. What we try to do is develop and, and build with, uh, with the coaches we have at the time, and those some have gone on to, to uh, higher profile positions, but they were great ambassadors for the Mountain West uh, when they were in this league. And, you know, and that's just two sports. We, we've got tons of others and, and too long to mention them all, but you, know, you mentioned you know, one of the hallmarks of the Mountain West. We, we've had some bumps. We've had some uh, uh, NCAA issues, uh, minor. But for the most part, we like to be known as honest people. We do it the right way, and, and we, we put on very quality, high-profile championships. When, when you talk about those coaches to a person across every sport, one of the things they, they all seem to, to reflect and echo is the level of competition in this conference is exceptional. And you see how that plays out across a national level as Mountain West teams move up and, and have opportunities nationally. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Oh, it has been, you yeah. know, and I, I think you look at the number of draft picks, and we've had a lot of first draft picks in, in Major League Baseball and the NFL and the NBA. Uh, we have a lot of uh, PGA champions that have played golf in the Mountain West. It's just a, a phenomenal league, and, you know, it's one of those things you can always compare, uh, and, and it's a tough challenge that, well, we've had 17. Well, we had 23. Well, we, we've had, you know, whatever. We're only 19 years old. Sure. And to be able to say the, the quality of competition, the number of draft picks, and, and the aforementioned first picks in the draft in, in several professional sports has been fantastic. And it, it's one of those things that uh, you, you look at nationally and you say, well, they haven't had that longevity or that much of success. But again, uh, let's talk in another 19 years. You, you know, we're 40 sure. years in, 60 years in from now. Uh, we're, we're less than 20 years old. And to, to create and have a platform uh, for those, those unbelievably talented student athletes uh, has has been a, a real a real joy. Another thing this league has been known for in its first two decades is breakthroughs. And you talked about one earlier, the the first conference to have its own linear television network. Under your leadership, this league has never been afraid to try different things, to try a, a new path. What are some of the breakthroughs that stand out for you when you think about the Mountain West? Well, you know, you try to, to stay up, uh, not just the technology and different things, and, and the mountain was a, a very important part of our history, 
but you look at uh, somebody in our office on their desk has a, a red flag and they say, well, what is that? Well, that was a challenge flag in football and we were the first league to experiment. You threw out the red flag and, and you got to challenge a play. It only lasted for a year or two and then the NCAA rules changed nationally. But, uh, you know, we've always had that, that bit of a pioneer spirit and I think it's very important uh, to remember that we, we can't keep be a cookie cutter. We can't keep doing things the way they've always been done. Uh, I love the fact that we have creative people. We have people that are opportunistic. Uh, they, they're innovative. And, uh, you know, we all strive to say, well, maybe we're going to do it a little bit differently here in the Mountain West. Sure, sure. Now, you're somebody who likes to spend more time looking forward than looking back. So let's go ahead and look forward now. As you look ahead to the 20th season of the Mountain West, what are the major opportunities and challenges that you see for the conference heading into 2018-19 and beyond? Well, you know, in, in terms of national competitiveness, I, I liken this year, the 20th season upcoming of the Mountain West, to what we were when we started. I, I had said at the time it's going to take four, five, six years to get into uh, the national perspective in football to play in New Year's Eve Bowls, to then play in BCS Bowls. First team to, to play in a BCS Bowl was the Utah Utes. Uh, killed uh, Pittsburgh in the Fiesta Bowl. And it was five years into the league, or maybe the sixth year, I can't remember. But, you know, as I, I see the same thing developing here. We've got a lot of programs that compete at that national level, and and we're close to being... Uh, the annual contender for uh, the group of five champion spot in a New Year's Eve bowl game. We've been very close. We mentioned Boise State was the first to play in the CFP era in a New Year's Eve bowl. And similarly in men's basketball, I think we're, we're on the cusp. Just uh, a few short years ago, we had multiple, multiple bids uh, at large. And, uh, you know, this year uh, Nevada was an at-large, our regular season champion, and San Diego State won the tournament as the automatic qualifier. But I I see we're starting to turn the corner because of the emphasis on scheduling in part, but we're playing better competition. We're going to have an opportunity to play uh, more frequently with more teams in the NCAA tournament. And and we've always been solid in, in a number of the other sports. Uh, it, it's it's puzzling to me, living in the, in the mountain states somewhat, that we are so good in men's golf. I think the season's <laughs> limited, but right. boy, we're four or five teams sure. deep in the NCAA tournament every year in in men's golf and women's golf is very competitive. Uh, Colorado State has been to 16, 18 in a row uh, volleyball championships in the NCAA. So, you know, we've got some really competitive national programs, and I think we all need to continue to push each other to get more on that national scale. Let's broaden the perspective a bit and talk about intercollegiate athletics on a national level. You're a respected voice and leader nationally what do you see as the major challenges and opportunities for intercollegiate athletics over the, the next few years? Many, many changes taking place on a national level. Well, I, I spoke to a group uh, recently, uh, the Football Bowl Association, and, and one of my comments was, I don't think the financial model that we have today is sustainable. Uh, we're paying something like $115 million to coaches to no longer coach anymore. Uh, we have 78 million dollar contracts out of 130 FBS programs. 
I don't know how we can keep up with the Joneses, and we are all the Joneses. But you look, I think recently I saw maybe Texas A&M's budget's projected at something like $180 million this year. Uh, and on the reverse side, with dwindling state funding, with federal funding being cut, with, with student services, student fees being cut, uh, we're being asked to do more and more and build more and pay more uh, with, with fewer dollars and fewer revenue. There's the new tax law, which is going to affect uh, giving, perhaps, to college athletics. $43 billion have been given uh, through uh, not-for-profits, not just college athletics. But if those are, are hindered in any way possible, I think something like 22 25% of, of all collegiate funding comes from donations right. and, and private-driven uh, dollars, generated dollars. So, you know, there... The financial model is going to be a big challenge. Uh, we're going to hear here in a few very short weeks about uh, Condoleezza Rice Basketball Commission and any number of changes that may bring into play. We've got the looming uh, December 3rd lawsuit with Judge Wilkin, which is probably to date the biggest challenge to the NCAA amateur model. So there's a lot of questions and challenges uh, facing us. Uh, plus, just the, the, the competition factor. Uh, you know, college football is, is known to be or thought to be rated as the second most popular sport in the country behind the NFL, but there's just so many more options. And then you've got the dilemma of attending the game, giving six hours of your time and commitment and cost, or the convenience of staying home and watching it on TV, or uh, you know, watching it digitally as you're uh, in some form or fashion while you're doing six other things. I mean, it's a new world out there. And so, you know, I, I, th there's, that's not to be a whole doom and gloom. There's a, a ton of challenges. But, you know, we, we've got creative people and we're all going to have to bind together because everybody has a piece and part of uh, the success of, of college athletics. You mentioned digital technology and the way that's transforming the experience for fans as they follow their teams. That's an area I know you spend a great deal of time researching, studying, and, and projecting what that could mean for the Mountain West and the fans of the Mountain West institutions. Talk a little bit about that. How dramatically do you see digital technology impacting the future of this league? Well, you know, a couple years ago it came into vogue an acronym FANG Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Uh, those people dwarf CBS and NBC and to a degree even Disney and ESPN. I don't know what that means, but it's something that's going to be very important for us to follow in the future because, again, people are all about convenience in this day and age. And if it's something that they can do readily and, and uh, uh, an amazing stat for me or, or uh, anecdote is talking to some of our younger football coaches and they have said, our kids don't watch us on TV. Number one, they're playing. But number two, when they're not playing, they don't watch a game. They don't watch a three-and-a-half-hour football game. They, they go to YouTube. They see highlights. They say, man, did you see that guy's catch? I was like one-handed behind the back. <laughs> you know, and, but they know all of stuff and they're following the sport but they're not watching the games right. religiously. And I think that's probably true not only of future recruits and current student-athletes, football players particularly, but it's probably true of society in general. I don't know the last time 
I watched a three and a half hour telecast. A full football game. You sure. know, and, and this yeah. is my business, but but I know what's happening and yeah. I'll be one of the first to get the call when something didn't go well right. and said telecast. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's something that we all have to be cognizant of because there's so many more opportunities out there now to do so many other things and to do a lot of things simultaneously. And that's something you're working on right now, which is finding the right balance between a traditional television model and all of these new avenues and options that digital technology provides. It really is. And, you know, part of the, the challenge, we're, we're not being hypocrites here. We, we are like every other conference in a country. We deposit a rights fee check from a television network. But by doing that, you're then at their mercy and they'll want you to play on a Thursday night or a Friday night or 8.30 on a given night, and the fans complain, and perhaps uh, the stadium operators complain and say it's just too late. And then you couple in, in our part of the world, a, an inconvenient weather night where there might be a little snow flurry or it's getting cool or the sun sets behind the mountains in October and it starts to get chilly at night. But those are all things that, that we have to, as administrators, balance and talk about saying what is more important, the viewership, the promotion, the marketing of that television exposure and the revenue or having people come and enjoy the game. I think one of the ways we're tackling it is looking at surveys and, and fan exit interviews, et cetera. And, and it's across the board, whether you're 70 or 30 or an 18-year-old sophomore, you're probably looking at your experience completely different yep. than those other two. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to be the masters of all and, and uh, work and make it convenient for all those constituents but it's, uh, it's, it's getting to be more and more challenging because there's just so much competition and there's so many other things to do on, on a given day. Switching topics. Later this week, the Mountain West could celebrate another very special milestone. Josh Allen has had a, a fantastic career at the University of Wyoming. By almost every expert's uh, uh, prognostication, he'll go in the first round of the NFL draft. Many people think he could be the first player selected overall. If that happens, he'll be the second player in the history of the Mountain West to go number one overall in the NFL draft. What does that mean for the Mountain West? And what does that say about Mountain West football to have a player who, who's, who's being projected that highly in the NFL draft? Well, I, I think it shows, again, the, the quality of competition in our league because you don't have to be from a, a higher profile or a bigger named institution. If you can play football and you can be a first-round draft pick in the NFL or the first pick in the NFL, uh, Tony Romo, Eastern Illinois, I mean, you can go to all these people in the past. They're not going to really remember. Some people use that, like, oh, he only played at Wyoming type of thing. I think it's a great uh, factor of pride for the Mountain West Conference, Wyoming in particular, uh, Josh Allen's phenomenal. I, I was at a meeting this morning at a, a CPA's office, and uh, we finished our business, and he said, is Josh Allen going to be the first-round draft pick? <laughs> this guy's a fan. He just knows. Sure. And so to correlate Wyoming and the Mountain West Conference and Josh Allen is an extreme positive, and, and he'll be a great ambassador for the University of Wyoming because he's a very, very good football player. Another special story um, that really has taken off in the last few months is Leighton Vander Esch, who played at Boise State. He was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year. Now, five years ago, he was playing eight-man football in a tiny town in Idaho, Riggins, Idaho. Walks on 
at Boise State, and he is projected by some to go in the first round of the NFL draft as well. That's a life-changing opportunity for a young man who attended a Mountain West institution. Talk about that. If he goes in the first round, it'll be the first time since 2000 that two players from two different Mountain West institutions have gone in the first round. Just a great story. It is a phenomenal story, and, and Leighton is a tremendous kid. Again, it shows you the, if you will, the fallacy of the millions of dollars spent by the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA saying, oh, this guy's not the right size. His hands are too small. His feet are too slow, whatever, whatever. You cannot judge a man by his heart. But, boy, Leighton Vanderish, if he, if he is a first-round draft, well, wherever he's drafted, he will be drafted, and he will have a, a phenomenal NFL career. It's just a testament to you don't know. Right. It do, there is no profile. There is no cookie cutter. You know, you look back through time and, and all professional sports, and they said early on he was too slow. Uh, he's too small. He's only six foot tall. He, he doesn't have uh, quite the hands. And, and you look at, we can name countless people that just didn't fit the mold. And I don't know that Leighton doesn't fit the mold. He earned it. He's a Larry Bird type. He did yeah. not fall into the grace of God, a tremendous athletic uh, football player. He earned it. He worked to achieve that. And that's probably the greatest thing you can say about him because he worked harder than anybody else out there and, and now he will get a just reward. Well, we know all of Riggins, Idaho, and much of Boise will be watching the draft to see something really special happen for Leighton and by extension for Boise State in the Mountain West. We can't let you go without spending a few minutes on college basketball. You're a member of the NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee, uh, one of only a handful of people who have actually served on that committee twice, which is remarkable. Under your leadership, the Mountain West has identified improvement in men's basketball as a key priority. And you saw that this year with two teams going to the NCAA tournament, Nevada making it all the way to the Sweet 16 in San Diego State. How important is that for the Mountain West to return to being a multiple bid league? And how challenging is that given the changes we're seeing in intercollegiate athletics? Well, it's extremely important. And, and there is no there is no cookie-cutter uh, uh, formula, and, and we're asked that constantly, daily, from coaches, not just in the Mountain West, around the country. What do I have to do to schedule? Well, it, it, it's still a simple process. It was 2000, in 2000, and it's the same in 2018. It's, it's who you play, where you play them, and how you did in that game. But, but beyond that, uh, it's easier said than done because a lot of people aren't going to play certain schools. And now a number of conferences are going to 20 conference games, which even further limits the non-conference schedule. But there are ways. There's multi-team events uh, around Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday tournaments. Uh, there's opportunities to go on the road and play some people. That's really Nevada's claim to fame, and they're, they're probably the... Uh, uh, a poster child to, to how to schedule. If you if everybody's scheduled like Nevada, and of course you have to win games, which they did, uh, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. And so I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges our coaches are talking about job security. I can't play them. They won't play me. Uh, my job's at risk if I, if I have too demanding of a schedule, et cetera. But you have to make that choice as an institution and you individually as a coach. 
how much do you want to be in the NCAA tournament because it's not a, again, cookie cutter formula, but there is a process to follow which will allow you that access. Nationally, is Nevada being held up as an example of how you should approach scheduling? I think so, absolutely. And uh, Eric Musselman, you know, for two years in a row, he doesn't play any non-Division One people, but he's been willing to go on the road. He had more, I think there's only one other team in the country this year with more road wins than the Nevada Wolfpack. And so he's willing to put his neck. Now he's got maybe a little more job security than some of the younger guys. But, but certainly you have to make that effort, and part of it's intent, but obviously a big part of it is having success, too. You can't just schedule everybody and go, you know, 2-27 and 27 and, and expect to be in the NCAA tournament. But it's a, it's a hand in glove. If you play the right people yep. and win some of those games and have made an effort, that's going to that's gonna serve you well. Well, he played TCU. Uh, went down to Lubbock and took a really good Texas Tech team into overtime. So it really bears out what you're saying there. It's not just scheduling, but going and being competitive and winning those games. And too. it's not just those top teams that you have to play. Although TCU and Texas Tech were at times in the top 25 uh, throughout the season, but they played either the third or fourth best team, in many cases the first or second team, in several other conferences, Big West, Big Sky. They got on a plane and went all the way to Hawaii to play a good Hawaii team on a one-off game. And so, uh, again, you know, kudos to Eric Musselman. They have figured out how to schedule uh, to, to gain NCAA access. We're not going to let you go without taking advantage of, of, of just a few more minutes of your time, if that's all right, and get a little career advice for young people who are listening to this podcast and either starting their career in intercollegiate athletics or thinking about doing that uh, with their own career and professional pursuits. Early in your career, who had the greatest impact or influence on you and, and, and why? I, I was the most one of the most fortunate people in intercollegiate athletics. My first boss was DeLos Dodds and a young, ripe guy just out of Minnesota, and my first position was at Kansas State, and, and just uh, shadowing, a sponge, watching everything he did, how he did it. There was Kansas State fighting for its life in the Big Eight, didn't have all the resources in the world, an immense pride. Uh, we used to joke uh, across town, across the state, you know, Kansas, a lot of their people were doctors and lawyers and high-rise downtown Kansas City people and K-State mostly feedlot and, uh, you know, just uh, bare bones, hard-working sure. uh, rural agricultural people, but the money spent the same and, <laughs> and it came in equally and, and they had some great successes. So DeLos Dodds was huge. I, I think, uh, and then I was very fortunate, my second boss in the industry was, was the late Cotton Fitzsimmons of the Kansas City Kings at the time and uh, just unbelievable humility that Cotton had and, uh, uh, you know, so I was really fortunate to jump out there with, with two great mentors. And, you know, the, the singular advice I, I give is to, to do anything and everything. Volunteer. There's no task too small from scoring a track meet to uh, sweeping up a gym and you never know who you're going to run across and get to cover. If you have aspiration, interest in, in college athletic administration, get to know as many people as you can. But be willing to do anything because we've all done that. We all yeah. started somewhere. We, we've all done those aforementioned jobs and uh, 
Um, you know, I, I started this podcast. It, it seems like there's a lot of issues in college athletics, and they are. But the greatest thing about it, it's like any other walk of life, the young people, the energy, the excitement, the enthusiasm, they, they're bulletproof. You know, oh, yeah, we can get that done. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll change it. Um, I, I was mentioning just the other day at that, that speech about the University of Michigan and, and the late Don Canham. Uh, guess what? In the in the 70s, there were still 100,000 people at the big house sure. sitting on a lousy cold metal bleacher in November. <laughs> and today there's 100,000 people sitting. Now, maybe they've replaced the bleachers. I, I don't know. But but the point being, uh, we all adapt. We all adjust. There's, there's new technology. There's new ways of doing things. But it's... Uh, you know, it, it's real and it's genuine. People know when you are legitimate and you care and bring a passion to something. And, and that's the exciting part about college athletics. We have all these wonderful stories, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of phenomenal stories. The, the Van Der Esch's, the, the Josh Allens, all of them. Everybody's got a story. And it's really unique and, and uh, fun to watch. And and the fact that uh, we're able to give them the opportunities to, to achieve you know, their goals. I think it's a great place to wrap up our podcast. Thank you for your time today, for being so generous with your time and sharing your insights, and all the best to you in the Mountain West as you begin season number 20 and, and thereafter as well. Thank you for your time today, Commissioner. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Summit, the official podcast of the Mountain West. For more episodes, please subscribe to The Summit on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. For comprehensive coverage and information on your favorite Mountain West teams, student-athletes, and coaches, including how to follow along on our social media channels, please visit themw.com, the official website of the Mountain West. Thanks again for listening to The Summit.